Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. We've entered the month of February, and now we're getting down to within two months of the start of the Buffalo Bisons 2023 season, and we hope you've enjoyed the offseason to this point. We have a lot of great promotions coming up as part of the 2023 schedule. The first wave released last week. We'll touch on some of that later in the podcast. But first, as part of the nine celebration in the month of February, I had a chance to catch up with former Bison manager Bobby Meacham. It wasn't that long ago that Meach was managing the Bison's home dugout from the first base side from 2017 through the 2019 campaign, helping the team succeed in its first winning season in several years before leaving the organization, spending some time under Joe Girardi in the Philadelphia Phillies, and ultimately is on to a new venture this coming season. So I had a chance to catch up with Meech, talk about a variety of topics ranging from his time growing up in baseball, his professional playing career, and his time in Buffalo as a player, and then again as a manager. Let's listen to that conversation. How are you doing these days, and you know what's the, the offseason these days look like? I'm doing great. You know, my offseason was a little longer this year, <laughs> you know, considering the, uh, the Phillies let, let me go in June. <clears throat> and so I had a lot of time to kind of just kind of rethink some things and got together with a couple uh, with a buddy of mine. And um, his name is Jerry, Jerry Sullivan. We got together and his next player and we decided to just put me on paper, you know, what, what I bring to the table as far as a, as a, a manager and, and a coach and just uh, in my whole life as a professional in professional baseball. So we kind of put a big package together. Um, that was really fun. Almost like a, I don't know, like just a resume times on steroids type thing. Um, just, just my goals and, and what I want to do in the game and still uh, what I've done and what I still want to do in the game. So we spent a lot of time, um, kind of putting things together last couple months. And, and, um, and by the end of the year, I got an, <clears throat> another job, a new job with the, uh, with the Colorado Rockies um, interviewed several times and um, came up with a, a job with them and their trip with their triple A team in Albuquerque. I'll be the bench coach for the, for the Rockies triple uh, A team in Albuquerque. That, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, you know, your time in Buffalo was such a fun experience from from our perspective. And I want to get into that with you in a minute. But you mentioned you know, being a bench coach in AAA. It, the landscape has changed so much since even since you, you managed the Bisons a couple of years ago. The coaching staffs in, in AAA and minor league baseball really mirror major league staffs these days, don't they? Yeah, and that was one of the <clears throat> the big perks that I heard from uh, the Rockies organization. I talked to their farm director, uh, Steve Forbes, and, and and Chris, excuse me, Chris Forbes, and he was saying that um, the the bottom line was they really were trying to do that, um, trying to mirror the big league team. They were trying to emphasize uh, what the big leagues trying to emphasize, and that's winning. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of development going on in the minor leagues, which is appropriate all the time, um, but also the the emphasis on winning was becoming less. It was becoming more on how to work with how, how to get a guy uh, to be a better back, have, have a better backhand or or come up throwing differently or you know, better arm speed and things like that. Individual um, goals were being pursued and, and really uh, taken on and, and accomplished. But uh, the winning aspect when the players were getting to the to the big leagues, it was changing and um, it was changing when they get to the big leagues. So all of a sudden, wow, everybody here just wants to win. And that had to change their attitude and their, their outlook on, on what they were trying to do. And it, it was taking too long to develop these players uh, with that, with that type of attitude of putting winning first. So, you know, therefore they, you know, they decided to uh, put in the bench coach um, a couple of years ago at the, at that, uh, 
I think at every level, a triple triple A being a little different uh, focus because you're closer to the big leagues. Uh, they wanted the bench coach to do a little bit different things than the other teams. But um, like you said, uh, Pat, they're trying to mirror uh, what they're doing at the, at the major league level. So to, and we can also, you know, just to make sure we get these players ready um, for what's next and what's their ultimate goal is to get to the big leagues and help that team win. And meet you. I want to talk to you about the present day uh, so much here, but I want to go back a ways in your baseball journey. Let's go all the way back to the start or maybe close to the start uh, <laughs> back in your high school days when you're at, at modern day high school and, and getting ready to, to uh, look at colleges and, and be recruited for, for baseball. Can you take me back to, uh, you know, what those days were like and, and, you know, what the things you were looking for as you were starting your uh, pro professional journey towards baseball? Sure, sure. I mean, I'll show my age a little bit, right? Because it's a long, long time ago. But uh, my, yeah, modern day high school is where I started. Um, uh, gosh, man, I remember going there as a freshman and and a lot of people thinking I was a really good player already. And I was like, how did they even know me? You know, and so um, I played, but I played all three sports. Uh, and then my sophomore year, I made the varsity team and and started getting some attention while we were playing other teams that were, there were scouts looking at other players. Um, and I was kind of, I remember my Go, man, there's a lot of scouts here and they're not here for me. But I thought to myself, maybe, maybe I can get some attention if I can swing the bat and play good against these other guys they came to look at. And so, uh, yeah, I went, went from that to getting a scholarship at San Diego State, which was a blessing. Um, what a great school to go to and, and just the great players around me. Um, uh, Tony Gwynn, Al Newman, Ed Emelong, I mean, gone and honors Mark Williamson, uh, Vic Martin. There's a lot of good players there. And that was fun to be in that atmosphere and uh and learn and um after my third year there i was the number one pick for the cardinals and um it kind of worked out great where i got to be in the cardinals organization pat where <clears throat> just the the attention to detail george kissel was the main instructor down there in the minor leagues and i still remember him teaching me things that i bring up to these young kids now as i'm coaching and I got to be with, with them for a year and a half and then they traded they got tired of me and, <laughs> and traded me to the yankees and um, so I, when I got to the Yankees, I went straight to big league camp and had the best after a ball had the best. I don't know. I couldn't have played any better, Pat. It was like this back in college, you know, amongst <laughs> these guys that are big names and I'm playing like, like I'm one of the best players out there. And I was uh, uh, noticed right away by the new people that I, you know, got traded to. And, um, and I ended up going to AAA, skipped double A, uh, went to AAA, played well there for half a season and got called up <clears throat> and I spent a little bit of time up and down that season and um, became the starter the next year um, and, and actually started for the Yankees at short for oh, about two and a half years. And then they got, they got tired of me there. And, uh, <laughs> and I started, and then they made me the utility man. Uh, I was backing up a bunch of different um, veteran guys that they kept bringing in um, and uh, to try to make things work for us. And, and uh, so I ended up spending about five years total uh, with the Yankees, almost six. And, uh, you know, enjoyed my time there. That was, that's, and then I played the last couple of years of the minor leagues. Of course, you know, the first one back to the minor leagues, it was with the, with the Bisons in Buffalo and um, trying to remake myself and, and see if I still had it. But uh, <laughs> I think my skills eroded a little bit. So I had one more year left of me and I played AAA with the, with Omaha after that in 1990. And then I just, uh, you know, out of nowhere, I was still trying to play Pat and, and, out of nowhere, everybody kept saying, no, we don't want you to play. We, you know, we want you to coach. And I was like, I don't want to coach. I want to play. You know, and they say, no, you're done. And finally, you're like, you're done. We want you to coach. And so um, I, you know, I just took that, uh, my first coaching job with the Royals. 
in Eugene, Oregon, a half season team just to get through the summer with a job, um, <clears throat> not thinking I was going to uh, make it a career at all. Um, thought just as it's a stop, just a short stop before I really uh, got to my, my real job, whatever that was going to be next. And I ended up loving it, um, loved coaching, loved working with the players, um, loved uh, identifying things that I had to work on and use as a player. Uh, the tools, that, so to speak, that were given me to be a better player, I was able to use them to help the new guys coming up. And um, I was, you know, I fell in love with helping that, helping and teaching and coaching. And that's when my coaching career started in 1991. Wow. And it's funny how even though the technology has advanced so much, um, it's still those same principles that, that you learned coming up and, and helped you be a better player are things that you still teach today, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's certain things that and, as with, you know, with all the new technology um, that really enhances it all. Um, but there are certain things, Pat, that they're they don't go away. You, the plate's still 17 inches, I think. <laughs> I mean, right? Because right? it, it made the bases bigger. So I'm not really sure anymore. But no, the plate's still 17 inches. But um, and there's still a lot of things and a lot of details in the game that have to be attended to in order to win. And um, like I said, my the blessing of my career as a player, um, you could see it come through the Cardinals and the Yankees. It was all about the tradition of those two organizations is huge. And it's, and it's all about winning. The reason they have great tradition is because they win. And so that was the key for me to be able to pass on to, to younger players, to players that I started to, to coach and teach uh, as a coach or a manager, was to really um, not only point out the little details to make them better, but also to focus on what makes uh, winning baseball. And so um, some of those things, well, most of them never go away. Uh, and actually, they ne none of them ever go away. You can improve on them, and that's what we're. And you know, as years go on, that's what we've done, and that's uh, kind of where we're at now with developing different new ways to to make players better, and make teams better. It meets one thing. Just watching you over the last couple of years of your time in Buffalo, one of the things that struck me was your ability to connect with players. And um, I just remember early on, even when the team got snowed out in Buffalo, uh, there was a bus ride to a local indoor facility to train and Danny Espinosa and yourself had a conversation about modern day high school. Cause that's where he went. So yep. it's even, you know, the, the generation or the, the, the decades that went by between when you two were both in school that you two were able to connect in that way. Yeah. You know, and that's the fun part of what I do, Pat is it's, it's actually knowing that those guys, that was me, you know, and they have to understand. And I try to make them understand that, uh, Hey, I'm not just some old guy trying to help out that, I actually did everything they've already done. And so it's a, it's a connection. I, I try to subtly weave into my coaching um, is to let them know, Hey, the reason I know these things is because I, at one point I was trying to do the, I was trying to do them just like you're trying to do them now. And, and I got a lot of help from a lot of coaches from my past. Um, and I, and I got, a, I, you know, the honesty, Pat, some of the help I get, I got, I don't even remember who gave me these ideas or how to coach and what to do. I don't remember the names of the people who gave them to. I just remember, getting taught those things. And I try to kind of transfer that over to the players that I, that I teach. I said, listen, guys, you know, you don't have to remember me and say, hey, Bobby Meacham helped you do this or that. Just remember all the information you're getting from all your coaches and the stuff that you can use right now, go ahead and use it, but there's, you can't use it all. So you have to store some of it away, store some of it away, like over here somewhere, don't throw it away. You know, maybe it goes in one ear, not the other but store it over here for a while because at some point you're going to need it. And then you can pull it back into your, into your life, into your career and use it to make yourself a better player, better person, better teammate. 
and help your team win better. So that's kind of the concept. It's, it's like um, I came before you, um, but we're kind of the same animal. So let's just figure this out together. And let me give you the experiences that I've had to help you get better and be a better player and a better person. And, um, and hopefully not make the same mistakes I made and, and, and improve on what you already have. And so I think the players can connect with that. Um, I did when I, um, when I played, I remember thinking, oh, oh man, I'm listening to Ozzy Smith, you know, oh, wow. Lou Brock just said that. Oh, wow. Okay. Now I got, uh, you know, over here with the Yankees, I got Dave Winfield talking to me and Willie Randolph. Um, and I could put together who they were and how they got to where they got and, and see if I could put that into my career and into my life and into my baseball and help with, uh, with a winning team. And, um, and so that's kind of where I go with it. Um, and hopefully they, the, the players that I'm talking to pick up on that. And how, how, how much fun was it, I guess, is the word I want to use to have a guy like Devon White with you here in Buffalo and helping you coach and, you know, growing up in the area, I know about the catch, but uh, some players might not know about the great career he had and, you know, how he was able to, to uh, work with players. Ah, oh, Devo was one of my, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, everywhere I go, honestly, everywhere I go, Pat, I talk about him because Devo, you know, he's quiet, right? And he's one of those unassuming guys. It's so humble. It's unbelievable. And then I remember just telling players every once I pull it, I'd pull him aside and put him in front of the, crowd, the players. And I'd say, how many gold gloves this guy's won? You know, why would you not listen to everything he has to say? Now, like once again, like I said, you can't take it all in, but just pull the nuggets out, man. And that's what I tried to do every day when I was with Devo. It's like, is listen to, you know, we joke around and talk and what have you even not in stuff outside of baseball, but I'm still pulling the nuggets out of him that he has, he has inside of him that, that made him the, the great player that he was, that made him the humble person that he is enough to be uh, creative enough. And, and really, I don't know, it's a blessing that he's, he's actually come back into coaching to help these guys out. And so it's just so fun to, to, to draw greatness out of somebody that was a great player and, and help pour that back into the players. That's, that's the, that's really the biggest uh fun of the job of coaching. And I think we're seeing some of the benefits now guys that maybe not no longer in the blue Jay organization, uh, Teoscar Hernandez developing into the all-star that he became, uh, and, and still is. And now in, with Seattle, Lourdes Correal jr. Uh, when he transitioned from the infield to the outfield, that's not easy to do, but through the work of, of your coaching staff, yourself, Devo and others, it, it has to help these players make it easier. Yeah. And, and once they know, I mean, once they get into their minds that, we were players uh, once they get in their minds that we reached where they reached and then they get in their minds that oh there's more to it to stay there and there's more to it to being you know uh, they they kind of push aside the, all the man he's making me work hard again they kind of push that aside and they go oh he cares and he wants me to be great and he and he oh he knows what it what it feels like to be great enough to be one of the you know, if you're in the big leagues, you're one of the, the best players in the world, no matter how long you stay there. So they understand that, well, they get it. Let's move on a little bit with what they're t teaching me. And I think, um, you know, well, obviously those guys, Guriel and Teoscar, those type of players, oh my gosh, so super talented and a pleasure to be around. And it's just, uh, it's just great to be able to enhance what they already have, what they already know and how, and how good they already are. It's, a, it's great to be a part of that uh, polishing up process to helping them get to where they want to go.
Micha, hope you can take me back to a little bit of your playing time with the Bisons. You mentioned you know, it was later <laughs> in your career when you're in the minors. <laughs> you know, what were your maybe first impressions of coming to that ballpark? Because you know, when, when you're playing as a member of the Bisons, there was still that hope that the team would get the, a major league franchise, million mm -hmm. fans a season. It had a big time atmosphere and feel to it. So did it feel like that on the field? Oh, it really did. And you know, the big appeal to me to begin with was New York. I, I love, you know, obviously Yankees, the only team I played with in the big leagues. I love New York. And uh, so it's one of those things where I was excited to, uh, to be, uh, always excited to be Yankee, but then to come back uh, Buffalo, I know it's not close to the city, but to come back to Buffalo and see the atmosphere there um, right away. I mean, like the first couple of days I remember in the clubhouse and just going, wow, this clubhouse is, it's kind of like, big a big league clubhouse i mean this field this stadium is it, it, it's a big league stadium it just needs one more tier you know it's just it but this is all a big league setup and i was really i mean i was blown away to be honest with you but i remember thinking thinking at that time this is this is a great place this, this is a good stopover for me before i get back to the big leagues of course that never happened pat but um but it was a it was like a really i was and i was really excited to to hear about all the uh, detailed information about what the next step was to try to become a big league team and a uh, big league franchise there, the expansion was in play. And, and I was thinking, wow, this would be cool. And, and, and being asked questions about just the, the front office, you know, Mike Wojcicki was there obviously. And, and, uh, and he was like, you know, things like, Hey, is this big league enough? Is this, does this look like a big league clubhouse? What can we do to make it better? And then the season started Pat, and it was crazy. It was like, it was like, what are we doing here? This we're the sideshow. I mean, this is like it was every day a celebration and 18, 19,000 people a night. And it was just like, we're out drawing the pirates, which is the big league club at the time of the affiliate. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, the guys are coming down, you know, to the minor leagues back getting sent down and they better crowds than they had in Pittsburgh. So, and you know, ice skaters on top of the dugouts and I mean, just, it just, we would I remember sometimes it was like, okay, guys, can you guys get off the field? We need to play the next inning. You know, it was like, man, you know, different things, promotions all over the place. And people really, you know, Buffalo people, are, you know, fans were great, excited about their baseball. And uh, we gave them some good, you know, we gave them some good, good shows, you know, that, that year. And that was 89. I think it was the second year of that stadium and that I was there. And um, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, Man, they, I, I always thought they were going to get a big league team after that year. I thought it was just a matter of time, but, um, you know, changed, things changed, but uh, what a great time I had. And then you fast forward to just about two decades later, you become one of just the few, few people in the modern era um, to, to play and manage in Buffalo. So what was, what were maybe your first reactions to, to maybe finding out or finding out the, you'd be assigned to Buffalo in 2017 or just what, what you were thinking going into that whole process? Yeah, I was excited. I, I I always I think it was my my fifth or fourth year managing uh, back managing in the minor leagues uh, with the Blue Jays and organization, and it was one of those uh, things where it was like uh, almost like an exhale. Ah, okay, back to Buffalo. Now you know we we didn't we didn't win when I was there. We played good. We didn't win. Let's let's see. And I know they had some disappointments on the <clears throat> that the team wasn't very good, and I had heard that there you know the. I don't know, the, the players weren't playing hard or they were like, you know, there's was, was a lot of negative tones in the organization about the way the players handled Buffalo. And, I, and it was one of those things where I was like, no, Buffalo's 
it, it shouldn't. No, that's, this isn't happening under my watch. This place loves their baseball. Loves their, they love their sports. I mean, like they get excited and get outside and, and they did in, in 1989. I'm sure it's, it's a little different, but it can't be, can't be drastically changed so let's get back to to getting these guys playing baseball the way they're supposed to play um you know all that was asked of me was to make sure these guys are you know playing hard and making sure the fans knew that they cared and uh, and and that's what we did and it was a i was i was i really look forward to that challenge because triple a baseball is hard it really is it's it's a lot of uh disappointed players um that can't make it that aren't back in the big leagues yet a lot of disappointed players um that don't aren't ever going to make it back, um, but they just need to stay there for a year or two and make a living until they figure out what they do next. Or there's a bunch of guys that think, you know, I'm just going to zip through here real quick and get to the big leagues. I'm a big prospect. So um, there's a lot of different mixture of players and type of people there. And I just wanted them all. And I was excited to get them all together, get them all on the same page. Uh, I remember what it was like to, to be that all those different things, the prospect zipping his way through, the, the, the disappointed guy coming back and, and not having hope of making it back. And the, and the one that just says, basically, everybody's wrong. I don't belong here. I should be in the biggest. I was all three of those guys. So um, I was excited to pass that experience along and, um, and help these guys get over themselves and, and really play for each other and, and the fan base that they were in front of. And I thought it was pretty neat and unique that maybe some of your former teammates, a guy like Doug Davis was managing in the league at the same time. And, and those connections that, that always seem to, to come back and, and seeing how his progress and, and, and all those different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to watch. Cause you know, actually, you know, you know so many different people that we, we I ran into was Al Pedrique or Jay Bell or, or just all these people that, you know, even Jay Bell played, I played with them in Buffalo. So it's one of those things where it's like all these, all of us that are still sticking around. And, and um, I, I believe just, doing the same things, believing in the, the, the group coming behind us and really trying to help them um, become, I mean, just that one more step, right? One more step to get to their dream. <clears throat> There's so many that uh, I, I feel disappointed for that didn't get there, but we're in Buffalo. Um, I, almost like I feel like, yeah, if I would have done, what could I have done extra to get them to that next level, to get them to Toronto uh, or to the big league somewhere? And it, it didn't happen. But um, just the excitement of the guys that I knew from playing with or playing against and seeing them again up there, like, like you said, you know, all this, you know, whether it's Doug Davis or Pedrique or Bell or whoever it was, just so many different guys who um, you just enjoy working with as a player. And, and then you get to kind of see them across the field or I get to see them in your, in your own clubhouse, like a Debo or something. That, that's just, uh, it was a pleasure to do it. And um, I love doing it in Buffalo. And you, you have the, the unique distinction of being one of the few people that actually was in the home clubhouse as a member of the home team and then used the, what was the home clubhouse as part of the visiting team uh, just the next year in 2020. Uh, you finally got your bench seats in, in the dugout, but it was as a member of the Phillies, I think, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. What happened with all that? I was, I designed it, I think, or maybe I, I could, I could say that we didn't, nobody knows. I designed it and, yeah. and um, you know, I, I just said, we need this and we should have it. And then all of a sudden somebody else has it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was that, Hey, that was crazy year, right? All that stuff with the COVID stuff. And, um, but what a, I mean, I don't know how Booch and you guys pulled that off and John and JD, but I mean, it's like, that was impressive. That whole setup was, you, uh, you know, city of Buffalo and whoever else was involved, the Bisons in the stadium to pull that off and make it set up like a big league stadium with the 
refurbished clubhouse and the and the all the stuff in center field and the and the cages and the, I mean just the whole setup was uh, I mean I was baffled I was like wow this is you guys have no idea what this what they did, took to do this and I was just there you know re obviously the year before so um, you guys did a great everybody involved did a great job and you know got to tip your hat once again to what 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 can happen and with the, with the Bisons. And for folks that may, may not know, um, as a member of the, of the Phillies, you guys were basically in the parking lot and yeah. it almost looked like military barracks, so to speak, if you just visualize it, what was it like to be, you know, in those temporary structures and in, you know, in a different setting and not being in a quote unquote clubhouse? Yeah, you know, it was weird, right? Because you're you're out, but but also kind of reminds you a little bit when, when you go way back to A-ball where you, you're a lot of the clubhouses weren't connected. And so you were out in the outfield, kind of like in a, almost like a, like a barracks type situation, getting your uniform on and, and then coming out to the field for batting practice, going back and changing, and then coming back out, you know, so you're almost kind of used to going through out, in and out of that outfield fence, so to speak, and doing things. Uh, but, but the atmosphere of, of just knowing um, for us, at least from my perspective, knowing that this is what the, uh, the detail that everybody was willing to go through to make sure this worked out, to make sure that everybody was safe and to make sure um, everybody was, you know, in a clean place. It was, it was, you know, I feel bad for the guys that were six, five, six, six, you know, taking showers in those little cubicles, but that they made up for us. But um, other than that, I mean, I felt like, man, this is a big undertaking that somebody decided to take care of these players, specifically the players, you know, it, just the, 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 the lengths they went to take care of them, make sure they were safe and, and felt comfortable enough to go out and play a major league caliber baseball was, 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 was outstanding. I, I don't even, I mean, the words can't explain how outstanding. I just walked away going, man, that was unbelievable what they did. And the transformation was, uh, uh, I mean, everybody there should be commended for it. Misha, I want to wrap on this. Uh, I wanted to ask you about um, if, if correct me if the stories, if I don't have this quite accurate, but when you were getting ready to go to San Diego state, was it the fact that Tony Gwynn was uh, at, at the university at the time that kind of pushed you over the edge to, to, to commit to the school? Well, the great thing about that was Tony was a year ahead of me, like you said, and I had no idea he was at San Diego state until uh, a friend of mine who went to modern day also was, he was on scholarship. He was Tony's age. So he was a year ahead of me also. And he went to San Diego state. His name is Nick Harsh. So Nick goes to San Diego state. He's a pitcher. And he goes, he called and I, I'm getting recruited. And he, he's trying, he's recruiting me hard. He means, you got to come, you got to come. And so he's like, you're not going to believe this. Tony Gwynn's here. I'm like, who's that? And he's like, you, you remember the guy that we played against in summer ball in Long Beach? That's, I go, oh, we used to call him Mickey because he, he looked like Mickey Rivers playing center field. He was real skinny and he was fast and he was good hit. And we we're like, oh, you mean Mickey? And he's like, yeah, Mickey's here. I'm like, oh man, that team must be great. He goes, no, he's on the basketball team. He's not playing baseball. And I'm like, what? We had no idea. I had no idea he played basketball. So he goes, yeah, he's, he's the point guard on our starting point guard. And he was a freshman, right? So he, but he's not playing baseball. So he said, I'm like, man, when I, when I go there, we're going to team up on this guy. We got to get him to play baseball. So we ended up, you know, when the next year, Tony, and we talked to him obviously that during the basketball season a lot, and he was fired up to play, but he said he couldn't because the, you know, the basketball coach, he was on basketball scholarship said, no, you're, you're a point guard. You're a starting point guard. You can't play another sport. You're paying, you know, we're on a scholarship for this. And then, but the blessing, well, depends who you look at, but for us, it was a blessing that they, they weren't very good. And they, they, they ended up firing the coach. And so in the midst of right at the end of the season, firing the coach, now Tony has no coach. 
Um, but he can't. So our coach, we talked to him and they let him play baseball. And he joined us that, uh, his sophomore year, my freshman year. And it worked out uh, <laughs> when the new coach came in. He's like, uh, and Tony's like, no, I'm playing baseball. And we're all <laughs> like, yeah, you know, we got Tony. We got Tony Gwynn playing baseball now. But he did not play his freshman year. He, he didn't play until um, my freshman year when I got there. Um, and all of us kind of, a group of us ganged up on him and just and talked him into to coming out after basketball every season. And that's what he did. He played basketball. And then after the season, played his, you know, maybe the last 40 games with us in baseball. And wow, the rest is history, thing. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. What did he, I, I didn't know all in depth how that story was. That's, that's awesome. And just goes to show you, you know, you can be a multi-sport athlete, but, uh, you know, Hall of Famer and one. And you know what? He went back and coached at San Diego State before, before his passing, right? Yes, he did. And he, you know, Tony was... Uh, actually, the, the year he signed to play baseball, he was drafted by the, well, the same week, Pat, he was drafted by the San Diego Clippers, the Padres, and he got married in the same week. Wow. Crazy. That's that's <laughs> a trifecta right there. I'm like, Tony, this is, how do you, I mean, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I did, yeah, so it was exciting uh, to see what he, what he could do on the, on the court and on the field. And, um, you know, he was, uh, I mean, I am. He passed way too early, but uh, what a great player and person. I could still picture him smiling and laughing all the time um, from college to, you know, to when I saw him later on in San Diego with the Padres. So, um, you know, well, he's missed, right? And, uh, but a great, great teammate, great guy to be around. Amit, thanks for, for sharing that story. And, and thanks for taking the time today. I'm, I'm glad we had time to catch up and best of luck in the Rockies organization. I'll be keeping tabs on, on your season this year. Thanks, Pat. And hope you guys have a good year, too. Thanks again to Meech for joining us here in the Power Alley. Looking forward to keeping tabs on the success that he has out in the Pacific Coast League this year. And always enjoyed catching up with one of the familiar names and faces from the late 2010s for the Toronto Blue Jays affiliation with the Buffalo Bisons. As I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, the first wave of promotions has been released as part of the opening day promotional schedule, which will begin April the 4th at Salem Field. We are under 60 days away from the home opener at Salem Field, less than 60 days till the season opens on March the 31st, the first three days of the year taking place in scranton Wilkesbury. But not only we have great promotions in that first homestand of the season, which includes Anderson Kids Week, but also some of the big theme nights that we've come to know and love at the ballpark this season return June the 3rd, the annual Star Wars night at Salem Field. Stay tuned as we'll once again have special uniforms for that night. Look forward to unveiling those very soon at Bisons.com. It'll also be the 27th annual Key Bank Independence Eve celebration with the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra. Once again, the BPO will join us on July the 3rd, back to its normal night here in 2023. A great program is already being planned. The planning starts the day after the previous year's celebration. So we're looking forward to the culmination of another great night celebrating our nation's independence on July the 3rd. Marvel's Defenders of the Diamond Knight is coming this season early in the year, May the 19th. Again, a special uniform night as part of a Honda Friday Night Bash. And there will also be a Marvel Superhero Night, a second night taking place on September the 9th. And you'll want to head over to Bison.com for the details on that. Also, there will be a logo baseball giveaway and play catch on the field on Father's Day, June the 18th, and a night that has not been at the ballpark in several years, Mystery Ball Night returns for the first time since 2019. 
You can find out the date of that over at Bisons.com. We'll also have some of the staples as part of Anderson's Kids Week in the home opening series, which begins April the 4th. There'll be a magnet schedule giveaway brought to you by Salins. Also, April the 5th through the 9th is Anderson Kids Week. $10 tickets and kids coming to the ballpark that week can enjoy a free hot dog, soda, and cotton candy voucher to the first 1,000 kids in attendance for each of those games. A lot of other great events on the calendar. Speaking of kids, School Kids Day, June 1st, presented by New York's 529 College Savings Program, and there are six Tops Dog Days at the Park this season, the first one coming up on April the 22nd. Head over to Bisons.com. You'll see all the great promotional information. Get your tickets today as we inch our way closer towards individual game tickets going on sale March the 11th as part of the home opener April the 4th. Another tremendous summer awaits you at Salem Field very soon. Until next time in the Power Alley, I'm Pat Malacaro. Thanks for joining us.